Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where we talk about everything anxiety and OCD related. Today, I have a fantastic guest on. I have Lisa Coyne coming on, who is the author of Stuff That's Loud. If you haven't seen it, it's this cute little book. It's actually not a little book, but it's a small book that is a teen's guide to unspiraling when OCD gets noisy. And it is co-authored by Ben Sedley, but I have Lisa on today. A little background on Lisa. She is the founder and senior clinical consultant of the McLean OCD Institute for Children and Adolescents, and she is the assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. We go into a great conversation about how do you help teens in general? We talk about what is developmentally appropriate for teens. They want autonomy. They want their independence. And then when you weave in the struggle with OCD on top of that, that can be really, really tricky as a parent. So Lisa gives some suggestions and some insight into how to do that. So I hope that you find the episode helpful. Uh, I do in our episode talk about how there are some kids I work with who just won't read any book, even this great one, and that there are new resources coming out for for everyone. And I had interviewed Jason Adam Kassenstein, who wrote the graphic novel, Everything is an Emergency, last week. And then I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> I, I don't want to say I'm getting early Alzheimer's and put it out there, but dementia is deep in my brain. I have like no memory, especially for people's names or titles of things. So you'll hear me stumble on that. So I just want to let you know that the author of Everything is an Emergency is Jason Adam Kassenstein. And that is a great graphic memoir of OCD for kids that are not going to read any book. I love that. But Stuff That's Loud is really comprehensive, and it's a fantastic book for any teenager who would read something, but they just don't want to hear it from you. And so it's hard to know like what would be a clinically sound book, and this would be a really good launching pad for a teenager who needs that information and needs that guidance. They just don't want anyone to tell them what to do. Another good teen resource is the ACT workbook for teens with OCD by Dr. Z, Dr. Zarita Ona. Um, I had her on the podcast uh, quite a while ago now since her workbook came out. And I kind of see it as like three steps. So that graphic novel would be really good by Jason Adam Kassenstein for the teenager who wouldn't read a book at all. And it just is a really good story about OCD and trying all these other unhealthy coping mechanisms. And then eventually finding that really ERP exposure response prevention was the way to help him through it. And then I think Lisa's book, Lisa Coyne's book, along with Ben Sedley, Stuff That's Loud is a really good introduction. It's not, I wouldn't even say it's an introduction because it it is really a comprehensive step-by-step everything I teach in therapy kind of guide on what I would teach a teenager in my therapy practice, like from the beginning to the end. And so this would be a really good one for someone who maybe just doesn't want to hear it from you. Or even if they are talking to you, this would be a really good supplement. And so this would be something that I would love to require people. (laughs) Require is the wrong word, especially after you hear our conversation today. But it's a great book that I would love to 
offer to teens to read as a supplement to therapy. So it's really good either on its own as kind of a launching pad or supplemental. And then lastly, I had Dr. Zeon who talked about the ACT workbook for teens with OCD. And this goes even further. So if you have a teenager who has, who's ready and wanting more work, wanting deeper work, then you have that workbook. So I love how we have all these resources. I've been using the ACT workbook for teens with OCD in my practice and having people actually do the exercises in there as a supplement to my therapy because I'm not an ACT therapist. I mean, I weave it into my style, but it's not something I really strongly teach just because it's not something that I've been practicing. So, and stuff that's loud sprinkles in a lot of ACT principles too, in a very natural sort of way. So we have these these really good teen resources. And I do believe there is another teen workbook coming out by John Hirschfield in the next few months. So I love that we're getting all these teen resources. I think that that's so exciting. Hope to have him on the podcast too, to talk about his new resource so that we can help this population of people who have OCD that are sometimes hard to reach because they are developmentally in that stage where they're like, don't tell me what to think or what to do. (laughs) Totally understand it. Uh, I was there once and I have one like that, but it's good to have some help. So before I get started with my interview with Lisa, just a couple of updates on what's going on in the AT parenting community. I am going to be doing a three-part video series called Survival Tools for Parents Raising Kids with Anxiety and OCD. So um, I'm hoping to give you a roadmap, a big picture of where to start and the things that you're going to need to be effective in helping your child with anxiety or OCD, child or teenager, regardless of where you are in the journey. So whether you're just getting started or whether you're knee deep in this and you don't know where to go, I want to help parents kind of roadmap their way to success. And I'm going to be doing that by sharing three videos where I'm kind of outlining that for you. If you want to sign up, registration is open and I would love for you to join me. I'm actually created a Facebook group just for this series. So you can join the Facebook group and you can go in there. I'm not going to open up the Facebook group until the week of the series, which opens up the series starts October 15th. So mark your calendars if you like my free stuff and you're like, ooh, this is brand new. I haven't done this series before. And so I'm hoping that you'll get a lot out of it. And I'm going to be with you in the trenches the entire week of this series, teaching you in that Facebook group. So that Facebook group is totally going to be new. It's not my main Facebook group. So if you're in my big, huge Facebook group with all those parents, that's not the group I'm going to be in. You'll have to register for this series and then join this pop-up Facebook group that's only going to be around for the series where I'm going to be in there the whole week teaching more in-depth understanding of what the videos will contain. And I love contests and prizes and things. And so we're going to have a lot of fun in there. So if you want to register for the video series, you can do that by either checking the link below. I will leave it in the show notes. Or if you just like to text things, you can text the word, all one word, survival tools to the number 44222. And I'll be happy to sign you up just through that. So let's jump into today's interview. I know you're going to really enjoy this. And there is the YouTube version as well, if you like, if you're a visual person. But without further ado, here's my interview with Lisa. All right. Well, I want to welcome Lisa to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm so delighted to be here. It's so nice to see you. 
Yeah. I've actually been following your work and Stuff That's Loud, the book that you just authored, has gotten a lot of traction in my communities. People have been talking about it. It's such a fantastic book. So we're going to get into that in a minute. And I've really been diving into like teen resources lately. And there's been some really good teen books that have come out. So I thought maybe we can start with just talking about teens in general. Um, Mm -hmm. You're really like a great person to talk to with all your expertise on how to help a child, not, well, I'm going to say child, but I'm really talking about teens, how to help a teenager with OCD. So I thought we could dive in. Well, actually, let me just pause. How about you introduce yourself and give some background and then we'll jump into like, <laughs> I'm just like, let's just jump in there and talk. Let's about just talk. <laughs> so, and it's so funny because as you were saying that I was thinking like, yeah, and having teens is like 100% best antidote for curing you of any ideas that you know what you're doing as a parent. So there you go. <laughs> that is so true. But, so when I wear my work hat, I'm a clinical psychologist. I live um, just outside of Boston and I have been many things. I have been a university professor teaching in a clinical psychology doctoral program. And I've always done research with families, parents, and children. And in 2014, I founded the McLean OCD Institute for Children and Adolescents. I met McLean. I wear two hats now. I'm their senior clinical consultant. And I also have founded with um, BB Moore, the New England Center for OCD and Anxiety here in Boston. And we have offices in Cambridge, West Boylston, Melrose, and one in LA, excitingly, which is kind of cool. So I love working with young people. And it's really funny because when early on in my career, I used to work with really little kids, like three to five and Head Start. And I always used to be a little nervous about working with teens. They scared me having been one, you see. (laughs) (laughs) And then, right. and, And as I kind of, you know, came to the end of my doctoral training and started working with teens, I was like, gosh, I just love this crowd. They're so amazing. They just so inspire me with everything they do. And it's such a tumultuous time. There's so much going on for them. And I think that a lot of the ways that we talk about it are not necessarily helpful, you know, like yeah. when you think about like when teens start striking out into the world as rebelliousness, right. And certainly that is true for some, but really what's happening is sort of adolescent brains are changing so incredibly rapidly And one of the core things that's happening is that their emotions are getting bigger. The emotion center of their brain is getting a little bit louder compared to the part of their brain that's doing planning, organizing, future thinking. And so what you see is more risk-taking behavior, bigger emotions, things feel very intense and things like that. And it's harder to manage, you know? And that's normal. That's what evolution has conferred on us as humans, right? So that this is the time when people are individuating, they're they're starting to go out and find their lives. And it can be difficult for parents because just as teens are going through this developmental shift, so are parents, right? They have to shift their parenting strategies and it might go from much more directive to a more collaborative thing. And it also involves a little bit of letting go of perceived control on the part of parents. Cause like at this point, kids are going to do what they're going to do and you can guide. And if you have a strong relationship with your teenager, you know, and good communication, the chances that that guidance are going to be heard are going to be greater than if you're directive authoritarian and all of those things. And so 
in the field of OCD, we think of this as autonomy granting, which means allowing your kids to go out and explore the world, right? And accepting that they are going to take risks, offering guidance um, and continued monitoring, right? It's very important and continuing to engage them in the family and making them feel like they have a role, right? And are important is something that's been associated with decreased dangerous risk behavior, but making a space for them to kind of learn themselves and figure out their way in the world is important. That was a very long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's a really good backdrop for why it's hard for some of the parents that I work with to, you know, somewhat pivot, you know, yeah. developmentally and work on their OCD because, because developmentally, like you said, they are going through this fierce independence, which is completely developmentally appropriate this risky mm-hmm. behavior, like all these things that are happening naturally that it should be happening. And then you add OCD on top of it. And then parents are trying to help their child or their teenager rather work on their OCD. And, and their teenager is like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it the way that you say, I'm not going to do these exposures. I'm not going to read this book. Mm-hmm. There's the, I don't want to. And then there's also like, and it's so interesting because it affects families in different ways, right? Because for some parents, they might get easily roped into the kiddos rituals to try and, you know, in the service of, you know, making the family function in some semblance. Right. And I think, while we know that that is unhelpful in the long term, it might actually work in the short term, right? People don't do things that don't work in some way. Right. Um, But I think recognizing that and then shifting into that more coach is a great thing, but I think you're a hundred percent correct. Like, what do you mean you're going to tell me what to do? I'm not going to do it. And that's a great example of like what makes this hard, right? Like that kind of, if you're a teen, you probably want increased privacy, increased freedom. You want people to be off your back. You want to handle stuff on your own. And if you're a parent, you're like, oh my gosh, I got to help. What do I have to do? Because like, I see you're suffering and I want to do stuff for you and help you move forward. And so finding the path through that can be really, really difficult. You know, because teens, I think it's important for parents and teens to meet each other halfway. You know, like none of us are 100% accurate reporters of where we are or what we need. And none of us are 100% perfect in how we communicate. We're always going to say the wrong thing at some point. We're always going to be intrusive at some point, or maybe we're going to be a little too hands off at some point. And so I think. The most important thing is little by little taking step towards strengthening that communication, that open communication for teens, like asking for privacy when you want it for parents saying, that's okay. You can have that. And if, you know, there's something that is concerning to me, I'm going to ask you. And I really hope that you'll tell me what that is, you know, and if not, maybe we'll have a therapist, someone like Natasha, you know, available so that you can actually share some of these things and think through how much to talk about. Yeah. It just can't be forced. It just won't Mm -hmm. work that way. So I think it's a good shift in perspective of this collaborative approach of working with your teenager. So what kind of tips would you give parents who are saying, you know, my teenager is showing all these signs of OCD. They don't want to talk about it. How can they improve the communication on that topic? This is a really simple tool. It's kind of hard to do, but it's something that I learned early on from one of my mentors in graduate school. And I really love this concept and I find it useful in all kinds of communication. 
So for some people who don't know, like the work that I do, I do exposure and response prevention. I also do acceptance and commitment therapy, which is an exposure-based therapy that also is useful with OCD, largely because it's an exposure-based protocol. But there's a piece about ACT, which we, you know, how we say it, it's not ACT, it's ACT, called valuing. The whole treatment is about helping people choose to do hard things because avoiding those hard things gets in the way of the stuff that they really, really care about and building lives that they really love waking up into every day. And so a value is something that it's not a goal. It's not, you know, something you can attain. It's more like a direction, right? So like for me, one of my values as a, you know, clinical practitioner and a researcher is it's important to me to be of service. Otherwise I'm just spinning my wheels. There's no point. Right. So this way of communicating is called having a values and vulnerabilities conversation. There's two ingredients that really help when you really want someone to hear you um, to have. And so it might be something like this for a parent to say, you know, I know you want your privacy and I know this is, it seems like there's something going on that's really hard. And to be frank, I love you and I'm really scared. I'm not trying to dominate and I'm not trying to pry. I'm worried and I need you to know that I'm here. And I'm just letting you know this is where this is coming from. And the reason that I'm talking to you about this is that you matter to me and I want to make sure you're okay. So the vulnerability part is the I'm scared. And I'm scared I'm going to say this wrong. I'm scared you're going to be pissed off and not talk to me. I'm scared that maybe you're at risk in some way that I don't know. I'm scared that we don't talk anymore. That's the vulnerability piece. The value piece is what is the most important thing to you about this conversation, right? And with teens, if you're a parent and it's, but I need to be right, I need them to obey or respect, those are not going to go over well. But if it's like, I care about you, you matter to me. And even though you're going through this hard time and we have not been talking well, I still love you and your well-being is more important to me than anything else. Something like that. you know. And I'm not saying that you can choose your values. You may very well be like, but they need to respect me (laughs) and that's okay. What I would encourage you to do, though, is to hold that lightly and think about whether that's the most important thing and why. And finally, see how that works. Okay, so notice how it works. And if it doesn't work the way you wanted it to, go back to the drawing board and come at it again. But again, with those two ingredients, values, vulnerability. And I think that's a great way to put it, you know, so I I think that's a shift in perspective for a lot of parents out there who don't approach those things that way, that coming from their heart and being vulnerable and, and looking at what your intention is. What is, what is my number one value? What am I trying to get conversation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you just can't strong arm communication or progress as much as some parents would like that. And I totally get it. Having my own kids with OCD, um, 16 year old, (laughs) I have my youngest is eight and my oldest is 16. So I get it on all, you know, with my eight, he's like, eight going on 28. I can approach (laughs) her in a different way. I could even like, just say, we're doing this exposure. Come on, here are your points. And I could be even a little bit more directive with her. Exactly. Do that with my 16 year old. So 
kind of build that communication and, and then also let go of control. I like the way you said that you have to let go of a lot of control with teenagers because you don't have it and that's okay. Um, I think that's an important point. What you just said there, you don't have it. Even if you think you have control, you right. don't. And the more you, and I, you know, it's funny because I've been using this metaphor for some of my kids lately when I'm seeing them therapy about, you know, how do you carry a water balloon, right? Do you squeeze it really tight like this so it can't get away? What happens if you do that? It pops because you're just increasing the pressure. You have to carry it lightly, you know, and hope for the best. And I think approaching things like, and really, like, it's really hard because you're going to feel, I, I know I felt like this too. Like if I don't say, if I don't direct, they won't be safe is what shows up for me. You know, when I think about my kids and I have a 21 and a 15 year old too, and it's really hard and I can't emphasize that enough. And I think that that's a conversation that each parent is going to have to have with themselves, Right. Because the fear is going to show up, you know, because the long game here is this, right? Like, well, at least for me, I mean, I don't know if it is what it is for most parents, but like, when I think about like, what does it mean to be a good parent? What does that actually mean? I mean, I want when I'm gone, I know not to be dark, but like when I'm gone, I want my kids to be flexible, effective in the world. I want them to be able to have relationships with people who love them to pieces. I want them to have integrity and kindness, you know, and that's a long game. They have to learn those things on their own. I can only model by doing those things myself where I can point them in the direction to, you know, show them things that I think will help them learn that. And then you have to kind of let it go and hope for the best, you know, and certainly set limits with things that are not okay. You know, riding your bike without a helmet. You know, so setting limits and making consequences where they're necessary and important, but yeah, helping them make the good choices themselves, I think is really important. And it also helps them develop their own agency, right. their self-efficacy in the world, right? Where they feel like, and, and OCD takes that from them a mm-hmm. lot, right? So this is a, a potential, like a point in parenting when you're, when you have kids with anxiety or OCD where like, and, and this is sort of the treatment philosophy and the stuff that's our book too, right? That like, it's not just that you want them to do their exposures, it's that you want them to choose to do them all the time. Yeah. When life hands them difficult little nuggets, if avoiding that gets in the way of what you want, lean in, choose to lean in and choose it yourself. Don't make yourself, don't, you know, you don't need someone to tell you to do it. You choose it, right? Anyway, so that's kind of, where I would go with that. And I think you're bringing up some good points because independence in and of itself really brings in that self-efficacy and that feeling of empowerment that OCD does rob you from. And, you know, and talking about fostering independence in general, like outside of OCD, that's helpful. And I think getting parents to connect that, like when you stop you know, cutting their waffle, I'm using that because my eight-year-old <laughs> refuses to cut their waffle. And I'm like, you will cut your waffle today, you know, but it was too hard. And so I had to do it, but it's like those little things that actually seem like they're totally unrelated to their OCD battle, but it is because they're not it's totally related. Yeah. Bringing that independence. So what about the parent? And well, I'll ask you this and then we'll dive into, I want to dive sure. into that's loud, but what about the parent that's thinking? Cause I hear them all in my head from online, you know, yeah. I am worried about that metaphorical helmet because my, my child's 
won't get out of bed because everything's contaminated or they're not eating and they've got ARFID and they're falling off the growth curve or something. I am feeling like it's a boundary I have to set, but yet they're Mm -hmm. 16. So what do I do with that? So I think that that's a really hard one. And we see that a lot too in our practice. And what I encourage parents to do is you really want to try to encourage the kids to do it on their own, but make clear what your limits are. So like I try to give, you know, OCD is so hard because like when, when kids have it, they are trying so hard to control things that are outside of their control, like their thoughts and their feelings, right? So when in treatment, like what I try and do, and I encourage parents to do too, is give choice where you can. And the choice might be, okay, I'm going to let you be. And if you haven't eaten, that's when I need to intervene. You know, in a certain amount of time, if you haven't drank, that's when I need to intervene. That's my job as a parent, right? Is to keep you safe. And you choosing not to do this is a message to me that that's when I need to step in, right? So encourage that independence and when you need to step in, you step in. And then the other thing too is I think, you know, reducing accommodation, like it's very difficult to get kids to do things that you want them to do that they don't want to do. But reducing accommodation, like pulling back some of the things that we are doing that are like, making it easier for OCD or ARFID or whatever to stick around. Right. And then making sure that like the kids are having a really heavy dose of, I know how hard this is because this is so hard, you know, and recognize the struggle and the process and like praise them for the process, but not the outcome. Mm -hmm. We'll get there one way or the other, but it's just a matter of sometimes you're going to have to set limits. Sometimes, you know, even if you pull back, so it's all going to be a balance. You know, I don't think there's any way around that. I like that, you know, focus on, you know, celebrating the progress, not the outcome. And I think sometimes as parents, it's hard to do that because we're we're seeing our own anxiety project outward and seeing what is it's going to look like in a six months or a year. Yeah, exactly. And that's the same thing happens to me too. Like when my 21 year old had a difficult transition to college you know, you're all of a sudden in the future going, Oh my gosh, but they'll never be able to, you know, they're going to, they're going to be at risk. They're never going to be able to take care of themselves. And so I think one thing to notice is that our minds are really good at catastrophizing and recognize that that's not where we are right now. Trying to stay in the moment is what I would say to parents and, you know, recognize that like that scary future, which may or may not happen could guide your behavior and it could guide you in ways that are not necessarily helpful in this moment. So to kind of step back, notice, and just kind of let's focus on the task at hand, you know, that that's you getting out of bed. I'm going to pull up your shades and we're going to put some music on and we're going to get moving (laughs) and things like that. It's going to be not so fun to be in bed for a while. And it's really hard, you know, and we've lots of kids that are struggling with exactly that same thing. Yeah. I think that was a good point that you said that when you catastrophize, that's going to direct your behavior and maybe not in a positive way because if your behavior is not addressing what's happening. It's what could happen. Exactly. That could be, that could be a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I know I've been caught in that personally as a mom too. Like if we switch to the mom hat Yeah. for sure, you know, and it's the single biggest predictor of my yelling, losing it, trying to be right, trying to argue, trying to coerce somebody to do something I want them to do all unhelpful. 
yeah. all unhelpful and like just learning over time. And I think that that's something that most parents fall into at one point or another. None of us totally. are perfect, yeah. you know, and I think just noticing how it works mm-hmm. and being gentle with yourself. If you feel like, ah, oh, darn it, I lost my temper again. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. We've all been there. <laughs> we've really we've all been. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and it won't be the last time we've been there either. So. No, we're all human. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, that's right. Yep. Some forgiveness with ourselves. So yeah. let's dive into stuff that's loud for those that are on YouTube. I will show this awesome little book because I'm sure a lot of people are going to recognize this. This is such a labor of love. And here's the UK version. Yes. How cool is that? Very <laughs> cool. Yeah. I don't actually have the American version here. I don't know why, but... This is another great way to help kids because this is such a comprehensive, thorough book. Um, when I was so going through like it. Yeah. I was just like, this just covers everything. And, and there's Wow. sprinkled in there in a beautiful sort of way that is really not overt. It just guides teenagers. I think in this, uh, it's like therapy in a box. Cause this is really like, it just walks. I love through. that. Yeah. It's, it walks through everything I do in my practice in a, in a very succinct, simple fashion. And you had a co-author Ben Sedley. I want to mention him as well. So what prompted you guys to write the book? First of all, thank you for all the compliments because this was such a labor of love and this was not a planned, I have a great idea, I'm going to go write a book book. So basically, here's how it started. When I was running the McLean program, I used to use this great little book, looked just like this, but read called Stuff That Sucks by Ben Sedley because of all of the books, I think it's really hard. So I should also say this too. I have a master of fine arts and creative writing. So in another life, I might've gone a very other path and done something different. And I've always loved writing and I don't get to do much creative writing these days. But what I notice when I'm reading teen books is like a lot of them are just kind of like, they're not the kinds of things I feel like teenagers would actually pick up and dig, you know, they're kind of clunky. And so what I liked about Ben's book was it was just so perfect. It was fun. It was really quirkily illustrated. The principles were so clear. And that's the way he is as a person. I didn't know him at the time. And so anyway, we started as part of treatment. We would, when kids would show up, we would hand them this book when they walked in the door and go, we know you feel kind of lost and stuck and it's going to be okay. It's going to be some hard work, but why don't you just start reading this? Mm-hmm. And they loved it. They loved it. And what they said was, you know, this is such a great book, but it would be so great if there was one for OCD. And I was like, well, knowing I would see Ben soon at a conference, I was like, you know, if I run into him, I'll ask him. And so I did. I ran, I ran into him at a conference in, um, in Spain, which was amazing. And he, we, we met and I was just so excited to meet him. And he said, oh, well, yeah. Would you do this book with me? Wow. And I was like, okay, that'd be great. And so it was really, and it was funny because he lives in New Zealand and (laughs) I am not the most organized person. And we had come up with this like every other week schedule of writing. And it was either like literally five in the morning, my time, or like nine at night, my time. And, you know, because it's really hard to write with someone who's 16 hours away from you. And so that's what I say. It was really was a labor of love, but it was really so much fun writing it with Ben. And some of the writing sessions were just, I'd talk and he'd type what I said or vice versa. And he'd, 
you know, he fitted into his, you know, I think it's a great, like just model for a book. The other thing we did too, was we would bring the drafts. I would bring the drafts to the unit at McLean and go, is anybody here interested in reviewing this and telling us what we have wrong? And teenagers love to tell us, but we were so like, they gave us lots and lots of feedback. And then a couple of them, we actually asked to write the foreword, Ethan Ganster and Shira Fulver, two fabulous now young adults, both in college, who were our guides. And it comes from like, we just really wanted to write something that spoke to teenagers. And that was it. That was what we tried to do and to give them sort of to empower them. You know, yeah. to where, and I wanted the, the picture I had in my head was if there's a kiddo who's really scared and doesn't know what's going on, what's happening. And they've just, you know, are, are finding out maybe that they have OCD. I want them to be able to hand them this and go here. It's going to yeah. be okay. Read this, see what happens. Yeah. And we had a little bit of fun with it too. And um, I don't know if you saw this, but this was a good, I love this chapter title. <laughs> for your parents yeah <laughs> so it's all you know, that gives you a sense of the irreverence of it mm-hmm. um she showed them. yeah i was <laughs> like they're not gonna know what you're showing yeah the titles are really cute it's and you can tell that it was probably like teen peer reviewed because it was totally teen peer reviewed <laughs> which like that's beautiful because you're getting input yeah. as you're writing this whether it's they're the experts yeah whether they're it's, the experts mm-hmm and that comes across. That's so fascinating that you guys co-wrote it in that way. I'm, I know that has nothing to do with OCD, but I'm also a writer. And I'm like, that's fascinating that you guys, like, literally, re- you wrote it together. Not we like... really did. Wow. Like, and we had different assignments. So sometimes, but usually we'd kind of co-write when one or the other of us didn't have time to write our part. And then the other one would be like, no, we're just going to... Just tell me what you think this chapter should be about. And we would do that. So yeah. we kept each... We wrote it pretty fast, too, which was fun. Impressive. And it yeah. really, it sounds like one voice, you know, some books that are co-authored sound disjointed. I think this yeah. would not be able to tell that this was written by two different people. It's a very unified voice. It's one voice in this book. And that's what Ben did. Cause it was very much like, I loved his style, but he was the ultimate person who kind of like wove it all together in the end, which was great. He's yeah. such a talented guy. Lovely clinician too. He does such great work, you know? Yeah. So I would, I would highly recommend this. If you have a teenager, they don't want to talk about things, but they don't want to feel alone. They don't want to feel isolated. So I feel like there's this thirst for information. Some boys I work with, they're not going to pick up any book. Um, (laughs) um, Everything is an emergency. That graphic novel that just came out. Oh, I don't know that one. What's that? Oh, you know, Jason Katz in mine. I'm trying to look from the distance. But it's called Everything's an Emergency. I'll get it. Yeah. Everything is an emergency. It just came out by a cartoonist. I interviewed him uh, last week. So you can look at my YouTube channel, but it's a graphic memoir on his OCD journey. And that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. Um, Oh, I can't wait to see it. That sounds awesome. So that's a great one for the boys I'm working with who would never read like a book in general. And so like it would get dust on their shelf. I know this one they would look at because it's a novel. It's a graphic novel. So it's almost all pictures. This is perfect for so many of the other kids I work with that are, they don't want to talk to their parent about it, but they feel so alone. They really want the answers. They're like, just help me. I just need to know how to do this, but they want that independence. And so they're going to privately read this 
And it, you can feel confident, I think, as a clinician or as a parent, that they're getting really sound clinical advice in the book delivered to them in a way that they're going to be able to digest. So definitely That's something. Awesome. Thanks for adding that to the OCD community. My and pleasure. It was a pleasure. You know, a clinician and, you know, an advocate online for a lot of parents, when I get really good tools, it's so nice because then I can just say, have them read this book and know that if they really did read this book, they're going to be so ahead of the game. And then they might be more mm-hmm. open to doing exposures or talking about it because they have this foundation that you've offered them. So. Thank you. That's awesome. We're hoping. So we've been giving it out a lot too. So, and we're going to start some support groups on the Stuff That's Loud page for teens very, very soon, just for kids to come and hang out. And and, and like, that's what I want this, like there's the broader idea is how can we use it to help disseminate evidence-based practice and principles and give them an idea of there's a way through this. You're not alone at all. And this is going to, this, you know, struggle that we would never wish for you to have is going to confer on you some gifts that are going to give you increased flexibility and strength and all of this. And there's a community you can join who are full of these awesome, awesome kids who are just absolutely some of the most inspiring, brilliant, wonderful people I've ever met, you know, and it's just so it's so funny. I just don't even know what it is about this group, but like they, they're just so dear to my heart. And so if we can make like the website or anything else, like just a place where pe- kids can come and get good information, like I'll link it to, to you. I'll link it to like Game Changers with Chrissy Hodges, the graphic novel image, stuff like that, where they can come and go, here's a website. Go look, go play. Amazing. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And, but geared specifically to teens. There is. Um, with that kind of there. There is I know. Thing. I mean, there's piecemeal, you know, there's there are such really good resources, but they're piecemeal. And I get that asked all the time, probably daily, I would say, in my Facebook groups, in my communities, where can my teen meet other teens who have this? And there's not like a go-to place that I can say. That's what we want to do. That's exactly right. And so bringing together all of these things in one place so we can kind of do that. That's really exciting. So, thank you. Is your, <laughs> website, really is your website yet developed? Yep. Yep. And it's, well, it's not very developed, but it's there. <laughs> There's a landing page anyway. And it's just stuff, www.stuffthatsloud.com. Okay. That's it. Stuff that's loud. And so, so watch that space. There'll be more. And we have Sean Chinock, um, who I don't know if you know him. He's a great illustrator yeah. and also someone with a lot of lived experience who's doing the graphic design for that. That's really fun working with him as well. So that is cool. Well, I'll definitely keep um, a pulse on that and let me know. And cool, I will, I will. I will let the world know about that because that's Thank awesome. Thank you. That's and awesome. Hello for the book stuff that's loud, the website, and so that people can keep up with you. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. My total pleasure. This is really fun, Natasha. So nice to chat with you today. You too. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I'm so excited that she's going to create a website. So check out that website, stuffthatsloud.com. I will leave a link in the show notes. I will also leave a link in the show notes for her and Ben Sedley's book, Stuff That's Loud, so that you can grab your copy. It is so comprehensive and it's going to be something I'm going to definitely incorporate with the other books I talked about into my practice. Um, I think that it will propel therapy. It will advance it. And, um, we get to kind of like skip rocks. We can skip a rock or two because they'll have such a solid foundation through this book. 
So if you have a teenager, definitely check it out. I think you'll find it really helpful. And I will keep you posted about her website. Go and check out the website and bookmark it. And uh, as soon as I hear something about the teen groups that she's talking about and creating all those teen resources, I will absolutely let you know because there's not enough condensed teen resources out there. There are, we're getting more and more, as I said before, but we don't have a central location where I can say, this is the place for teens to go. So I'm super thrilled that she's doing that. That's a gift to the OCD world. As a reminder, don't forget to sign up for my three-part video series, Survival Tools for Parents, Raising Kids with Anxiety and OCD. It's going to be really good and I don't want you to miss it. So register now. It starts October 15th, but register while you're hearing about it. So you don't have to be like, wait a minute, did I miss it? Because every time I do a new video series, I always get emails afterwards, weeks afterwards saying, oh my gosh, I thought that it was still running or I missed this. I just got this email. I just heard about this on your podcast. So if you're hearing this, just pause and register. And then I will email you when um, it goes live and you won't miss it. So text the word survival tools, all one word to the number 44222, and you'll be joining us. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes. I think it's like, is it Amazon? Now I think there's an Amazon podcast. I can't keep up. So I know I don't know what to say, but wherever you consume your podcast, don't forget to hit a star or rate it. That helps other parents know there's some value in the show. And if you have a few extra minutes, I always greatly appreciate it. If you can leave a review. To show my appreciation, I always like to end my show if I remember reading one of them. So I want to thank Michael Durney for writing. Um, I came across this podcast after struggling with how to navigate the behavioral healthcare system in an attempt to help someone with anxiety and OCD. The podcast is really misnamed. It's far beyond dealing only with toddlers. Well, my podcast isn't named toddlers. I have rebranded Anxious Toddlers to AT Parenting Survival a long time ago. And I just, um, okay, I'm on a tangent. But I just can't get away from the word toddlers. Like four years ago, I stopped focusing on toddlers and it's still haunting me to this day because my website's anxioustoddlers.com. But anywho, back to the review. Um, it's a great resource for parents of adolescents and young adults dealing with any of these challenges. Natasha's style utilizes personal stories while retaining confidentiality of clients at all times to give tangible examples of kids' symptoms, trials, and successes. This podcast has valuable show notes with links off to very helpful resources. I appreciate Natasha's willingness to give so much time to this great free resource. We are still navigating the system, but are headed in a much better direction. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for taking the time to write a review. I really appreciate that. And I know that navigating the system can be so overwhelming and so tricky. And that is one of the main reasons why I do the podcast and I do the YouTube channel is to be that lighthouse where I can help guide people come in because as parents, we can do so much for our kids. We don't have to wait for help when we're on waiting lists, or when we're trying to find someone who has an opening. Like my sole mission in life is to educate parents to help their kids directly. And ultimately for us to help the kids help themselves directly. That's the ultimate goal. So I'm glad I'm part of that journey with you, Michael. And if you have something kind to say, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 